Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our CRISPR Journal podcast mini-series in conjunction with Horizon Discovery. I'm your host, Kevin Davis, the executive editor of the CRISPR Journal, and I have to say the author of the new book, Editing Humanity, The CRISPR Revolution and the New Era of Genome Editing. Looking forward to today's episode very much. We're talking about base editing with Horizon's Jennifer Harbottle. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Kevin. It's great to join you today. It's great to have you on. We'll come to you in just a minute or so. As everyone knows, in this series, we've been focusing on some of the technical tools and strategies in performing CRISPR experiments. We've had a number of great guests from Horizon and from the academic world, including Manda Arbab from the Broad Institute, Samira Kiani from the University of Pittsburgh, discussing questions and issues like CRISPR editing outcomes and CRISPR safety. You can find the whole library of episodes that date back about a year or more now, including conversations with Jason Schultzer, Britt Adams, Stanley Chi and Omar Abadiah and Jonathan Gutenberg at the Horizon CRISPR Learning Center. You can find that link at our homepage, www.crisperjournal.com. So today's topic is base editing. And as a primer for this, 18 months ago, we recorded a great episode of Guideposts, that's the CRISPR Journal's other podcast series, with two of the co-developers of base editing, Alexis Comor and Nicole Gordelli, which I highly recommend for a colorful account of the inception of this amazing technology. Look for Guidepost on your favorite podcast platform. Joining me today, you've just heard her, chiming in from Cambridge, England, is Jennifer Harbottle, who is Senior R&D Scientist for Horizon, based in the UK. Hi, Jennifer, again, welcome. Hi, Kevin, again. We also need to remember that CRISPR genome engineering has really transformed the life sciences and base editors based on this technology, obviously derived from it. But it's even more important now that Jennifer Doudner and Emmanuel Charpentier have just been awarded the Nobel Prize for its inception. So it's come a long way since then, and it's even more exciting for women in science. That's a very, very good point. Thank you for mentioning that. The way you said Charpentier suggests a slight French accent. How did that come about? actually born and brought up in France and then came to the UK for university. I've traveled around a little bit. There's that French twinge, I guess, to my accent. (laughs) Just a bit. And a little Scottish as well. So tell us about your PhD and what you did since getting your PhD and how you ended up at Horizon. So I had a little bit of an unconventional route into molecular biology and genetic engineering, but I originally trained in nutrition uh-huh. and went on to do my PhD in cell biology, building reporter cell lines. Okay. In all of this, I realized that precision medicine is of utmost importance and yeah. was something that really needed to look into. Yeah. So I then went on to get into CRISPR and here I am. When I okay. got excited by base editors in 2018, I came to Horizon. And you did your PhD at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland? Yes. So that would be where I picked up the little Scottish accent as well to accompany the French. (laughs) Very good. All right. Well, let's talk about base editing. So you joined Horizon, what, a couple of years ago, something like that? I was originally Oxford Genetics, so in Oxford, UK. And that's where I started doing these little side projects in R&D and played with the David Liu system of base editors. And then I heard about this exclusive partnership that Horizon had just developed with Rutgers University Uh to take on their base editing system. So that's where I leapt onto the occasion just to do full-time R&D work on base editing. So I joined Horizon in May 2019. So I've been there almost a year and a half now. 
Very good. Well, I imagine most people listening are pretty familiar with base editing, but just in case we've managed to snag a few people who are looking for some more introductory information, how would you define or describe base editing in its sort of simplest terms? And why are you so excited about it? There's a lot of excitement around yeah. base editing. Base editors are really composed of two main components. You have a catalytically impaired casinuclease, and this is associated with a single-stranded deaminase enzyme. And this base editor is guided to a target site in the genome by a guide RNA, so similar to your standard CRISPR system. And the deaminase enzyme then alters the nucleotide to allow a transition. So you have two main classes of base editor, either your cytidine base editors, which catalyze the conversion of a C to a T, and you have your adenine base editors that allow the conversion of an A to a G. So there have been a lot of technical advancements since they were first conceived, really, in 2016. So this has been to improve the efficiency, the specificity, the targeting range of these base editors. And although it was really easy to stay on top of the literature back in 2018, there are so many developments and applications now. It's really quite difficult. It's getting like CRISPR is now. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned the two categories, Jennifer, of base editor, the C-base editor and the A-base editor. And I imagine or understand that you're working with these pretty much uh, on a daily basis are there similarities in the way that they work or in the way that they perform? Or does it, do you have to sort of treat them differently? Does the C-based editor have some quirks or some properties that the AE doesn't have and vice versa? There are definitely differences between them, but even within each group, there are a lot of differences. So because base editors are composed of several different components, you can modulate each one of these and generate a whole catalog of flavors of base editors because of that. So we're focused mainly on cytidine base editors at the moment, but obviously working up the ABEs as well. But then within a CBE, you would have multiple different types of deaminase, for instance, which all work differently in terms of the editing profile, the motif preference. And if you then start changing the nuclease, there are different parts of the genome that you can target. Uh, So yeah, a lot of scope there. Yeah. Let's go back to the reason for the excitement in this technology. I would imagine that one is that unlike traditional CRISPR gene editing, you're not cleaving the double helix. You're just nicking one of the strands. So the damage to the DNA is much less. What else can you tell us in terms of comparing and contrasting base editing to effect, for example, a single base change over other methods? Does it have a better safety profile? Can you say that, for example, there's fewer issues with off-target effects? Help us understand where base editing is really excelling. Well, I think you've already nailed it on the head there in terms of one of the main key differences to your traditional CRISPR system is that you don't elicit a double strand break in the DNA. So obviously this avoids indels, so small insertions or deletions at the target sites, but also especially in the context of multiplexing, which we're beginning to need more and more in terms of developing different therapies. This also avoids the issues of potential translocations and other chromosomal rearrangements. So from a safety profile point of view, there's a lot of interest in base editing because this is a much cleaner approach, the gene editing. But aside from that, 
It also doesn't require a donor template. So there's no reliance on the repair mechanism of homology-directed repair. Right. So this makes base editing a lot more efficient and actually feasible in non-dividing cells. Right. So suddenly you can target different tissue types. Right. So there's a lot of excitement for both of these reasons. And you envision, I'm sure, that base editing is ultimately going to have a big impact in terms of cell and gene therapy? Most definitely. So whilst you can think about gene therapy as potentially correcting pathogenic mutations or even introducing a protective variant to decrease disease risk, you can also inactivate disease-causing genes or you can skip, well, eliciting exon skipping exons that might contain disease-causing mutations, Mm -hmm. such as in Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, for instance. But aside from that, if you also consider ex vivo cell therapy sort of engineering strategies. You can, for instance, harness the immune system to target cancer cells. And I think this is a really exciting field to get in because you can start coupling the CRISPR base editing system with current CAR-T cell therapies to both improve the persistence and resistance of what we're engineering and then possibly even start targeting solid tumors or develop sort of an off-the-shelf version of CAR-T cell therapy. Mm -hmm or even engineer other immune cell types. I mean, natural killer cells would be a great one to start working on. Right. Very interesting. And I know that from some of the reporting that we've been doing, we've seen in animal models, for example, for progeria, and also for some hereditary forms of heart disease, we're seeing very promising early results, preclinical, but promising nonetheless, from David Liu, Beans Therapeutics, Verve Therapeutics, and many others. So a really exciting time. You mentioned earlier on, Jennifer, about a partnership with Rutgers. I'd like to kind of focus on that now a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about the extent and scope of Horizon's involvement with base editing and the base editing community. And what is this partnership with Rutgers that you referenced a few minutes ago? Essentially, we onboarded their novel base editing technology. So it's different to the current David Liu Labs version. The first year was very much spent on the technology evaluation, doing proof of concept studies, checking the activity profiles. But now this is really branched off into two main groups. So one that's based on the technological development of this new base editing technology. So as I mentioned earlier, we can tweak all sorts of different parts of a base editor to increase its scope and potential. And also we've branched out into the therapeutic applications of base editing, especially using this new version. And we've currently focused all of our energy really on cell therapy and more specifically the development of this sort of next generation of CAR T cells. We talked earlier, Jennifer, about the CBE and the ABE. Just tell us a little bit more about it, because I think we've sort of grown up over the last few years thinking about those seminal nature papers, and that's the base editing system. So it's always interesting to hear about a new system that may have some advantages over what's been published and widely used in the last few years. So are there some fundamental differences, or are we just talking about some minor changes? There are a few changes. I obviously can't go into details about the specifics, but it is a modular system. So that does allow us to tweak things in a very different way. I would never say that it's better than the David Liu system, only that it's different. And the technologies are complementary to each other in terms of how they can be applied. 
Okay, very good. I know you're not talking to clients directly, but what is your position? What sort of applications and uh, research areas are you seeing as people come into the base editing field? Is it really all about genetic diseases or are you seeing other potential questions being addressed as well? Obviously, with Horizon being a service provision sort of company, as well as providing products, these are two avenues that we're obviously looking to use internally. But in terms of talking to outside companies, for instance, we're also licensing the technology. So they can come to us with what they would like to do, and we can provide the licensing really for them to use base editing to allow them to do that. So we've really focused our energies on cell therapy. However, there are probably lots of other things coming in, but I will admit I haven't seen or heard that firsthand. But cell therapy, CAR-T route is definitely what we're working on at the moment. Okay, really good. Maybe in closing, how would you describe the future of base editing, especially in light of uh, the next great version, potentially, of gene editing, prime editing, which was published, I mean, barely a year ago, and a lot of potential in that system as well? Yeah, so there's a lot of excitement around prime editing, and I can really see these technologies being complementary to each other, Mm -hmm. just as David Liu has explained a few times previously in his talks. We really need to remember that prime editing is still in its infancy. So although it doesn't just do the transitions, it can also enable transversion mutations, and it can also allow small insertions or deletions at the target site. So there is a lot of scope there. But it's a bigger system. There are more components at the moment as it stands currently. It's all plasmid based. Mm -hmm. So as with any of these CRISPR based technologies, delivery modalities Mm. are really important to consider especially Mm. when we want to translate these to the clinic. Mm. So I think there is a lot of potential for prime editing. But at this stage, and from what we've seen in the publications so far, the safety profile and the efficiency of base editors far surpasses that of the prime editing. Okay. So Jennifer, finally, I'm sure COVID has had an impact on your ability to do uh, as much R&D as you would like over the last few months. But once things really get back to some semblance of normal, What are the main areas that you and your team are going to be pursuing over the next year or two? So we've actually been very lucky at our site and that the base editing R&D team has really sort of allowed some great breakthroughs during the pandemic. So of all times, we had some of the best work come out of this. Obviously, this is all in a very safe and socially distanced manner, and we can't celebrate in the ways that we'd like. Yeah. But in terms of where we're seeing this go forward, the team is getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think with more interface with external parties, this is also going to help the development in terms of where we apply the technology. But otherwise, developing our internal services, I think base editing is really going to have a part to play in that. Otherwise, as I said earlier, it's very much the technical development of the tool and really improving its scope or enlarging its scope. Yeah. But with the therapeutic applications, I think it's going to be very interesting to see these preclinical data, for instance, from David Liu's system with Beam 101 and 102 in the hemoglobinopathies, but also just seeing how it all comes about in terms of the safety profile, because I think that really is a huge advantage over the standard CRISPR system. Fantastic. Well, Jennifer Harbottle, Senior R&D Scientist at Horizon in Cambridge, UK. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast and telling us all about the exciting things that are going on in base editing. Cheers. Thank you, Kevin. So that's Jennifer Harbottle from Horizon. We thank her and Horizon for sponsoring this pretty educational podcast series, I have to say. 
Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We look forward to bringing you additional episodes in this series in the very near future. For now, for everyone at the CRISPR Journal, I'm Kevin Davis. Goodbye for now and please stay safe.